Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. Blessings of Hashem be on you, wherever you may be, listening live or archive. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Welcome to the Zohar in 15 show. I think we're going to go a little over 15, so please be patient. I promise you there'll be some gems that will be worth waiting for. Today we're talking about surviving the wilderness experience. Um, before we kick off the show, a couple of uh, side notes. Um, as you've seen on the Facebook page for Restoring Grace, if you're interested in having me come out to visit your church or Bible study, do a seminar or youth camps, whatever you may have. You can always reach me going through the messaging system on Blog Talk Radio, or you can look up Restoring Grace on Facebook, message me there. I also have an email, which is D as in David, F-O-U-R, the number is 26 at gmail.com. Again, that's D-F-O-U-R, 26 at gmail.com. And my phone number is also posted on the Restoring Grace Facebook page as well. We're going to be talking about the wilderness experience, a very popular and well-known portion of Scripture. Uh, many people know of it, know about it. But I want to make sure that we caution ourselves because some of the material that I teach, we ta- I talk about it from a, um, you know, a, not so much a literal standpoint, but like, you know, making examples like allegories and the different things you can make from it. I want to make sure we slow down and make absolutely clear with everyone that I believe and we all should believe that these events did happen, that the New Testament do- Old Testament documents are not just a bunch of fables and myths that were put together by a bunch of wise you know, guys who said, hey, these would be great stories that we could tell our children. These are actual events that occurred in the lives of the Israelites. And it's important because it's at that point we remember that the Israelites are people. They're human beings. Uh, these are moms and dads and brothers and sisters and grandparents. These are people who... On, on a regular basis, went through a lot of the same feelings and emotions that we had. So it's very important that we realize these happen to human beings, just like us. And their responses and how they engaged and dealt with God and the challenges they faced are great lessons for us to learn by. To stand in admiration of the times when they absolutely got it right and tremendous things happened, and also to learn from the lessons when they didn't get it so right and sometimes very negative consequences arose. When we think of the wilderness, we think of hardship, and we think of difficulty, we think of trials, and it was all those things. And one thing we need to remember is that we can draw the most light. We can be the closest to God. We can experience the greatest connection with the Creator or the greatest spiritual growth from whatever takes the most effort or takes the most work. You see, the path of least resistance in your spiritual growth, in your transformation, will be the longest possible path to get there. I'm telling you now, if everything's humming along and everything's going great, and you go to church and sing, oh, 4,000 tongues. I threw that in there for us old-timers. 
um, and everything's going great, there's something seriously wrong in your spiritual path and in your transformation. And by the way, I want to make sure that we're clear on something. And that is the idea that we're not just here to get saved, pull back into a corner with a bunch of people that think just like we do, and hang out there until God comes back to melt the faces off of all the people that he doesn't like. We're here to do two things. One is to join God on the great mission of repairing the world, making this world a better, safer, a, a better place for people. And that just doesn't mean a spiritual world. I'm talking about helping people get fresh water, helping people get food, helping there's a lot of things. And the part is conduct a spiritual transformation inside ourselves. Now, God's toolbox is the hardships that we endure, the things that God pulls out that he uses to help us grow, to become more like him, to become more in the path of the master of Jesus of Nazareth. Those hardships that we endure, that's God's toolbox. What we go through and how we work through it will define who we are. And in many ways, that's a very difficult thing to accept, but we understand it. It's, it's part of life. Whether you believe in God or not, all the things that we've been through in our lives shape us and our attitudes and our worldview as we move forward. Now, the energy of Satan, this is a great topic. Maybe sometime I'll talk about it. But the energy of Satan, it, what's it powered by? I mean, what, what is it that keeps him going? Uh, what, what gets him up every morning? Okay, he doesn't sleep. I get it. But what is, what is his energy? It's interesting to note that when in the Garden of Eden, when God is having the conversation with the serpent, he tells him that he's going to crawl around on his belly and he's going to eat the dust of the earth, a very literal-sounding deal. I mean, if you're a snake and you're on the ground, you're probably pretty close to the dust. It's interesting to note that a couple different times in the Bible, it talks about the, the quickness or the shallowness, let's say, of the human life, how short we are, how, how very little time that we have. And we are born from the dust, referring to the creation story, and eventually we die and go back to the dust. The Kabbalists teach that he steals his energy from the dust of the earth, which is actually the negative deeds of man, the parts that die off of us and fall to the ground. Now, you don't have to get your head, wrap your head around it. Just bear with me for a minute. Just think about what that's saying. What that's saying is that we're responsible for powering Satan, for powering Asatan. Our consciousness, the way that we live our lives, we're fueling him. Now, think about it. That's not that far-fetched of an idea. Think about riots and mob mentality. Think about how those work. One or two people, somebody throws a rock, somebody fires a gun, and suddenly lots of guns are going off. Somebody throws a rock, lots of rocks are, are being thrown. Somebody starts to fight, suddenly lots of fighting breaks out. We've seen this just even recently. So we have to ask ourselves, well, if it's the consciousness of, of how we think and how we see that fuels Satan, then well, what is our consciousness? What consciousness do you operate from? Well, there's a couple of them. Like, for example, one of them is a, a cause consciousness. Why is this happening to me? Why is my life such a mess? Why is this always happening? And, and what we commonly refer to is what's called the suddenly syndrome. The suddenly syndrome. You, you read a lot of stories where somebody breaks up in their marriage, and that's very sad. And you say, well, it just looked like they had it together. It, it happened so suddenly, or, or somebody passes away, it happened so suddenly, or, or a tragic event occurs, and it happened so suddenly. But yet, when you really start to look into it, a lot of things happened that contributed to that event actually happening. There's no such thing as suddenly, uh, suddenly syndrome. What more than likely happens is in our walk, in our spiritual walk, in our life with God, we aren't paying attention to the signs around us that there's a problem. And something's happening. 
just kind of keep our head down or maybe that proverbial head in the sand, and then something happens and suddenly we're called out of that unconscious state to a conscious state to have to deal with it. How about, how about a poverty conscious? Why am I lacking? Why does everybody have good things in life? I will tell you, I have made some horrific decisions that have had huge impact on the lives of people around me that I care about, on friends, family, work, co-workers. I've made huge decisions based on poverty consciousness that were dire decisions that had terrible effects because of poverty consciousness. If you actually think about the Garden of Eden, it wasn't so much the idea of a, a really tasty fruit that the serpent tested Eve with. It's what he said she didn't have. He didn't focus in on the great land and on the, the endless food supply and the communion with God. He didn't focus on all the things they had. He focused in on what was lacking. Well, God knows that you'll become like him. Well, it must not have been, become like, may have been like him at that point. It was a lack. What about an evil consciousness? Hey, we need to grow up and tell ourselves the truth. We enjoy the fruits of, doing wrong, of wrongdoing. We enjoy the fruits of wrongdoing. We do things that we know are wrong, and yet there's, uh, there's some kind of win in it for us. There's some kind of byproduct in there that, that gets us to say, well, that was worth it because... What about a Christian consciousness? You say, wait, 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 wait. That's not bad. No, it's not bad. A lot of these things aren't bad. It really depends how you use them. A fork is not a bad thing unless you stab somebody in the eye with it. Christian consciousness. My religion says I'm to love this and to hate this. My religion says we have to be careful that we don't get to the point where we blindly follow the doctrines and teachings of men even when they stand contrary to the scriptures that God gave us to follow. We need to watch out for that. Now what I see with a lot of people is there's a concealed God and there's a revealed God. There's a part of God that they understand and they see, and there's a part of them that they don't get. And, and, and they tend to list to live with this concealed God. He's way up there. He's calling the shots. I'm the little peon down here. Okay, loosely that fits. But the point is that we can actually know what God wants us to do. He, we can know what he expects from us in our life. We can know how to survive our wilderness experience. And just like the scriptures, there's concealed scriptures and revealed scriptures. There's scriptures that people have, have learned and loved that they said, man, this is my life, their favorite scripture, their favorite book, whatever it may be. There are these scriptures, and we understand that as well. But the part that, that concerns me is, what about the ones we don't get? What about the ones that we tell oh, that was for somebody else, that was for another time? And in some ways, it may have been for another time. But the wilderness, when we think about it, when they were in the wilderness, it is the strangest of things because it, it was like a self-sustained ecosystem. It only needed the sun to maintain its existence. It was a real time and real experience, as I mentioned at the start of the show, but it had huge spiritual meanings. I think it's kind of mind-blowing to think that while they were in the wilderness for 40 years, we're, we're, they're not, the portion of Scripture we're going to read here in just a minute, we're not quite there yet. But the Bible makes some interesting statements. Like, for example, their clothing on their back and the shoes on their feet never wore out. In a physical realm, that's impossible. I mean, I have kids. I can't get their shoes to last three months, let alone 40 years. Think about that. Their clothes didn't fade. They didn't wear. They're in the wilderness. These guys aren't surrounded by Maytag washing machines and dry cleaners to take care of their stuff. There is a miracle element 
that happens in the care and provision of God when we're in that tough place, when we're where, 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 where we're struggling. God adds that special preservation agent. We're going to take a break for just a minute, and I'll be right back to finish the second half of our lesson, Surviving the Wilderness Experience. This is David Fournier, one of the senior instructors here at Restoring Grace. In 2005, I signed on with Masters International School of Divinity to fulfill one of my ultimate dreams, a master's program. In 2007, I graduated with my master's degree in contemporary apologetics, thanks to the assistance, guidance, and direction of all the staff at Masters. You too can realize your educational dreams at Masters. It is an independent distance education divinity school for working adults. They offer a wide range of certificate and degree programs. You can elect to study through online courses or short intensive online classes or on-site seminars. You can reach Masters at 800-933-1445. Again, that is 800-933-1445. Make the decision that I made. Continue your education with Masters International School of Divinity. Believe me, it'll be one of the most important and significant ministry education decisions you'll make in your life. When we think about the wilderness experience, we think about humility. We're a place where we are completely dependent upon God. In our wilderness consciousness, when we're, when we're battling those things, the revelation of the Mount Sinai, it occurs in the desert. It doesn't occur in the golden palaces. The Torah, the Law of Moses, the guidebook, a spiritual, moral, moral community ways of life was given in the desert. And when we think about that, we think about how humble we are and how dependent we are upon God. I want to read for you a script. We're going to go to the scriptures and read Numbers. 14, 20 through 35, Numbers 14, 20 through 35, and catch a very important verse that happens in here. Starting with verse 20, read now the New American Standard Version, not because I think it's the best, but just one that I'm very familiar with. The Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in this wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times, could be something worth researching, right? Have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall they see it, nor any of those who spurn me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants I shall take, shall take possession of it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites live in the valleys. Turn tomorrow and set out towards the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. To Moses and Aaron saying this, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel and they are, that they are making against me. Say to them, verse 28, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will also do to you. Verse 29, your corpses will fall in the wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you will not come into the land which I have sworn to settle with you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joseph, the son of Nun, Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land in which you've been rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in the wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. 
According to the numbers of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and then you will know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who gathered against me in this wilderness. They shall be destroyed and die. After the spies return, the people do not have certainty, certainty that God's going to deliver them. And God's very unhappy about this. And he states his case to Moses, which is a little bit before the reading of the scriptures we just read. And God pretty much says, I'm done. Moses stands for the people of Israel and says, no, well, let's talk. Moses, by the way, is one of the most incredible teachers, one of the most incredible leaders in the Old Testament documents. He has an amazing testimony as a man who cared for the sheep so deeply that he would tell God that I'm willing to exchange my life for theirs. He didn't fleece the sheep. He didn't have a $16 million mansion. He led them from a place of total captivity to the place of the wilderness. And now he's hearing from God that there's going to be one year, one year for every of the days that they've complained against uh, Hashem for wandering in the wilderness, and he's going to wind up being through, going through that. He just heard about a 40-year assignment. And instead of saying, I can't believe you guys did this, you guys are a bunch of jerks, um, this is going to take us 40 years to work out. He goes to God and says, let's talk. God says, I, I relent. I relent. Okay, I'm not going to wipe them out. But God makes a very interesting statement in verse number 28. I want to read 28 to you again. Say to them, he tells Moses and Aaron, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I surely will do unto you. Well, what is it that they said? I mean, what is it that he said? Go to verse number 2 in chapter 14. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would we that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Wow. In verse 28, God says, I'm going to give them what they asked for. They were complaining. They are upset. They said they wanted to die in the wilderness. That's what I'm going to give them. Folks, this is what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy, a self-fulfilling prophecy. God delivers what they requested. And I want you to really think about self-fulfilling prophecy. One of the things that starts the wilderness experience is this conversation where they say it would have been better for us if we would have died in Egypt. It would have been better for us if we died in this wilderness. And God comes back and says, okay. I won't do to them what I said I was going to do. I'm going to simply give them the desire of their heart. I'm going to give them their request. We all find ourselves in tough spots. In these spots, it seems like we would be better off where we were. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about, oh, if I hadn't taken that job, if I, I mean, hadn't married this person, if I hadn't had this many kids, all these ifs. But then we go back and realize that those ifs, those going back to the future, as the movie said, but those changes, we have no idea what effect they would have, what children would or wouldn't have been born. You could be right now a person who's going to have a tremendous effect on some huge thing in the world. You could be the, the father and mother of somebody who is going to have been a great cure. You could be a lot of things that we just don't see because we're so busy with self-fulfilling prophecy. We're so busy being a characters out of a cartoon show. You know, it's rain, my birthday. We're so 
busy giving negativity to the enemy, giving dust to Asatan to fuel him, that we forget that faith is what we believe in. Certainty is who we believe in. I want to say that again. Faith is what we believe in. I practice the Christian faith. I'm not very good at it, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not a good example of what a Christian should be or do. But I have certainty in who I believe in. I believe in God. I believe that, that, that Jesus was the things that he said he was. Not the things we say he is, but the things that he says he was. And a lot of times in life, we find ourselves with a lot of questions, and when we look out over the spiritual horizon, there's no answers out there. We don't see any answers. I want to give you a couple of quick steps, a couple of quick steps on what can we do. Instead of making those death statements, I wish I hadn't married this person. I, I wish this. I wish, instead of just saying all these ridiculous things that, that simply wind up hurting us someday. Can you imagine saying that? I really wish I wasn't married to this person, and then some tragedy strikes and they're gone, and that's the last thing you said about them? That's the last thing you remember? Well, first of all, when you're facing a difficult situation, when you have trying times in your life, you need to ask this question. Why is this situation in my movie? Why is this in my, my movie, my life story? Now, sometimes things are in your life story because you call them into being. Like, I can't get up tomorrow morning and say, where did these kids come from? Why are these kids in my movie? Well, they were the byproduct of your, my relationship with my wife. We wanted children. We decided to have them. Now they're here. Yeah, every once in a while you think a little bit different about that, but they're here. But I'm talking about sometimes. There are things that we are in our movie that are there that we don't need. If you're always complaining, if you're always murmuring, if you're always grumbling about something, you hate this, you hate that, you have to look at it. Is this something that's going to change physically, the physical realm, or is this something that I can change with my attitude? <laughs> it's like getting angry that a dog barks. What do you want him to do? You have to ask yourself, why is this situation in my movie? Why are these things the way they are? Secondly, you need to find out how real is it and how long-lasting is it. I mean, is this really a problem? A lot of times we just make things into problems. These people here, the Israelites, had seen mighty acts of God to liberate them from Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. They're looking around saying, it would been better if we died in Egypt. I mean, wouldn't you want to just live to see that? So you have to ask yourself, how long is the situation? How real is it? And if you have a situation that's going to take some time, it's going to be there for a while. It's going to be long-lasting. This is a real deal. I have to go through it. We have to try to stop think-forcing spirituality and actually do things that are going to help us manage it and be part, be part of it. We can't make things better by forcing spirituality into our lives. If you're unhappy about it, tell God I'm happy about it. I need your help. I need your guidance because I'm really struggling here. I'm, I'm really going through a hard time with this, and I don't know what the answers are. Help me with this. You can charge any hill that you want, but remember that God doesn't answer to you. I'm going to say that again. You can charge any hill that you want. You can attack anything. You can get angry. You can argue. You can do all those things, whatever you want. But in the end, I want you to remember this. God doesn't have to go with you unless you understand the consequences. In our narrative here, God goes against, Israel goes against God's commands. He tells them, here's where I want you guys to go from here. He says he's not going to have any, they're not going to have any part of it. They go pick a fight, and they get whipped. 
I mean, they get beat pretty bad. Push back, ironically, back right where they started from, right where God said, okay, this is where I want you to go here to this place. You know what's amazing about God? When we read Numbers chapter 14, as we go into Numbers chapter 15, the very next chapter, God is already communicating with them again about laws and guidance and how to prepare themselves to enter into Canaan. God loves us. And often in our lives, we can feel lost in the wilderness. But my friends, ladies, gentlemen, brothers, sisters, whoever may be listening, even though we're in that wilderness and we're going through that experience and we're suffering and and it just seems like it's never going to end and it's horrible and it probably really is all those things, we still can use this experience that we're going through as part of our transformation, part of becoming a better version of Dave, a better version of ourselves. We can use this as real time and real experience and to come through it. Because in the end, your soul does not want everything handed to it. I mean, every once in a while, that sounds like a good idea, right? It's nice to come home to a dinner that's already made. It's nice to come see a house that's already been cleaned. It's nice to see somebody barge your car and they put gas in it. Those are nice things. But if that happened all the time, you just get to where you just expected. We got ourselves in these situations, and with the wisdom of the scriptures and the wisdom of, of God, we can get ourselves out. We can survive the wilderness experience by understanding that God has a plan to it. We see it for what it is, and we become participants in our own rescue. Now, sitting around waiting for somebody to do it for us, but actually being there and working through it with the assistance of God. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to talking to you again soon.